0: Welcome to Talk Money on AM 990. Now, here are your hosts, Jim Shoemaker and Keith Quinn.
1: Good morning, and welcome to Talk Money here on AM 990, where we'll help you focus on your financial future. We have got a great show today. We are going to be speaking with Erica Bergsland. Erica is a Chartered Financial Analyst and Vice President with Advanced Capital Management. Erica's going to be talking about what's going on with the economy, letting us know some of the things that have happened uh, domestically and certainly what the Federal Reserve is doing.
0: Erica has been someone that's been with us several times on the program and always does a great job Great resource. And, and, you know, she is a CFA at Venice capital, and one of the things I like about her is the fact that she does the research and she understands research, and she brings us a program that is um got tremendous depth to it really but does. she explains it so that I could understand it. You're way ahead of me. But but uh, but our listeners can understand. We get a lot of comments that comes back that says Erica Birdsland does a phenomenal job for us and I think that's good. So Erica, welcome to the program.
2: Wow, what a great introduction. Thank you. I've been working on
0: that, (laughs) you know, for about forty five minutes. Your mom sent me what she wanted me to say. I had to discard some of it. (laughs) But we do thank you for being with us this morning. And I guess the thing and Keith, you know, we had talked about this part of the program. When we talk about being just right, we're not trying to say that everything's perfect but that. Exactly. But we are saying that in spite of what's going on, the economy seems to be moving along and, and, and kind of chugging along, you might say. So I guess, Erica, what we'd like to start off with is the growth. This, this whole idea is notching up a little bit, but we're not looking at that translating into wages. We're not looking at that translating into great growth, but, um, you know, it's steady, How about the improvement side of it? Do you think we're going to move up, or what are you looking for the rest of the year?
2: You know, at the end of last year, I was really hopeful that the economy was really going to get some self-sustaining momentum. It really had felt like for the last few years we were just kind of hanging on by our fingernails, and, yes, we were printing that sort of 2%-plus growth, but it always seemed kind of tenuous, and it didn't really feel like it was self-sustaining. And I was really hopeful coming into this year that we would have a breakout year where we would reach more normal growth levels, you know, north of 2.5%, maybe even over 3% this year. But that doesn't seem to have happened. Um, The big reason was in the first quarter, the weather played such a big role in depressing growth. But it had such a big impact that it's hard to see that this year's growth is going to be much over 2%. So that's kind of the the more negative side of the story. The positive side is I do think we're seeing some signs that the economy is gaining some traction. We had a nice recovery in the second quarter, although while, while that 4% number might seem really high, you have to keep that in mind in the context of the 2% decline that we had in the first quarter. So really we're setting the stage for more of the same in terms of the growth that it looks like we're going to have um, this year for the full year, But I do think that um, there is some underlying momentum that isn't reflected in that number. And we are seeing things like consumer optimism is at the highest levels that we've seen um, since before the crisis. Business optimism is increasing. Um, We're seeing more job openings. That's a real positive that has a real impact on real people. Um, So there are some things that are saying, hey, we might get to the point, that wages will start growing again, that people will be able to spend a little bit more money, and the economy will start motivating itself without the help of these rock-bottom interest rates that we have.
1: So we had the, you know, as you talked about, Erica, in the first quarter, that was the polar v- vortex. You know, that got us the negative GDP growth. And I think, as you said, you know, the 4%, and Jim, that's really not out of line. When we look back historically, we've had 10 times where we've had a pullback in GDP when we're actually in an expansionary phase. We haven't gone into a recession. And the average bounce in the quarter after that had been right about 3.7%. To see that 4% number is kind of in line with what we would expect.
0: Absolutely. But, you know, Janet Yellen made a comment. She says that even though all this, you know, the unemployment rate, or the, she's focused on that. She says, although we work through the financial markets, you know, I I love her comment. Our goal is to help Main Street, not Wall Street. And I'm not so sure that's happening at the pace. Erica, give us some thoughts. It just doesn't appear that we're seeing this this, as you said, momentum, but we're predicting that we'll have a second half of the year will be better than the first half. But work me through this, the workers' compensation problems we've, you know, looking at. Just walk us through that little problem as far as We're not just seeing employment improve.
2: Right. And you know how um, there's an old saying that when your neighbor loses his job, it's a recession. When you lose your job, it's a (laughs) depression. Right. Absolutely. And I think that um, employment is a big issue to every family out there. You know, breadwinners need to bring home the bread. And when people are struggling to find good-paying jobs or struggling to find jobs where wage growth exceeds inflation – Um, It puts pressure on families, and it puts pressure on um, their ability to spend and drive the economy as well. So one of the unique things about this cycle has been um, the really abnormal labor recovery. So while we're seeing the headline unemployment rate come down, what's underneath that is that many of those jobs that have been created to employ people are part-time or they're low-wage, and that is... um, creating a couple of things. One is there's a lot of pent-up labor that wants to work more. So that creates some, um, you know, capacity for labor to come back into the market. And the other thing is that real wage growth or wage growth after you take out the effects of inflation has been basically nothing to negative for most people over the last five years. So it's been a really unusual recovery because of that, um, and we're really not seeing signs um, quite yet that that's going to turn. There are some very early things that might make people a little bit more optimistic, and that's that job openings seem to be increasing. And so companies are starting to post jobs um, more that are going unfilled. The big question for economists is to whether those unemployed people or underemployed people are going to be a good fit for the jobs that are becoming open Um, and people are quitting their jobs more, which is a sign that people feel optimistic that they can find another job. You know, they're willing to walk away from a job that isn't working out for them well. So those are some early signs that we might see um, a better recovery in the labor market in the second half of this year. But if the Fed stuck to its rules of the game that they they said five years ago, you know, we'd be talking about them raising rates at this point. But I think that... They're really looking at these underlying data points and saying, you know, this recovery isn't as great as it seems on the surface.
1: Well, Eric, I want to ask you two questions on that. You know, we saw the latest employment report. We had 209,000 non-farm payroll jobs. You know, that uh, has been kind of in line with the consensus a little bit below. I think the consensus was right around 233. Mm -hmm. Uh, I've got two questions. One, we talk a lot about the labor force participation rate. Where has that gone, and what does that say about the labor markets? And also, how many jobs do we need to add just to keep pace uh, with, uh, you know, the growth, the population growth of this country? Because we have people retiring. You know, we talk about that a lot with baby boomers hitting retirement age, you know, basically have 10, Thousand uh, retiring a day uh, for the next however many years, uh, but we also have people joining the labor force. So how many jobs do we uh, need to add a month just to kind of keep up with uh, keep up with the growth in the in the labor force?
2: Well, current job growth is well over the number that um, we'd need to just keep up with the growth in the labor force. I don't have an exact number there. Um, right, so we're net positive. But, but many, you know, there are economists that think that number is under a hundred thousand jobs a month. Yeah. So it it you know, we're well over that number just to sustain the current increase in the labor force. The labor force participation rate is something that's gotten a lot of scrutiny because it's come way down um, since be- before the crisis. But, again, I think that you have to look deeper into the numbers. And the dynamic there, you know, is driven largely by baby boomers retiring. And, you know, another headline that people might might um, ring a bell is that, you know, older people are working more than ever, but they're working more than ever compared to a historically low participation rate. So when you hear people say, you know, the baby boomers aren't leaving, they're they're keeping the jobs that they had, that's true to some extent. But you're talking about, you know, a quarter of the population working more than it had in the, in the past. So, um, you know, it's natural that the labor force participation rate would come down over time because of the demographic situation in the United States and the aging of our population. But saying that, there's definitely room to recover. And, uh, you know, that's one thing that economists are looking at is if we do get some traction in the economy, is it going to be one step forward, two steps back, that every time we see a little bit of wage growth, that will bring back some of these disenfranchised workers and the participation rate will come, you know, will go up a little bit, but that will restrain wage growth once again.
0: I think that's what I like about what Erica says to us. I mean, I mean, Keith, you could not have. I mean, you could have taken what you just were talking about with the dialogue between the two of you, and turned that into a very negative. But yet, as she did, I mean, right. she literally explained it in such a way that you get it. I mean, it's that's hey, it's because there's an aging population, you know. So you're comparing it to data. But I could take that. You know what? You're know, talking about numbers. I can make numbers, do sure. whatever I want to, but you need to look at it from from the overall perspective, which is exactly what Erica does for us. So, uh, again, Erica Birdsland, she is a, a CFA. She is the um, a wonderful lady that does a great job for us. Which means and, she's
1: smarter than us, the well, CFA, right? Well, I, I wasn't going to say that, that? Yeah. but, you
0: know, it's true. Adventist Capital, <laughs> yeah, we can't deny the truth. We <laughs> can't deny the truth. She's the Director of Research and Trading at Adventist Capital. and. Erica, we get this question a lot, and I know our listeners are—you are, you hear this a lot on the news. Do you feel like that the central bank, the policies of the central bank, the whole idea behind what the Fed's doing, is that driving the market? Because you hear that on the news, is—is is that why? Is that why we've had an eighteen-month, pretty strong, kind of a, a, a kind of a euphoric type of run in the market? Obviously, for the last couple of you know weeks, a week at least, we've had some of that little feeling, maybe, of a correction. Which I want to ask her more about the correction. But Erica, do you feel like that the the Fed is really driving the market, that the performance is based on what the Fed's policies are?
2: Well, that's a, a, a very interesting question. I definitely think that the stock market um, rise, you know, the really strong performance that we've seen, which has really driven valuations to fairly high levels in the stock market, probably does have something to do with the level of interest rates and the lack of alternatives that people have to put their money to work. Um, but saying that, this is not just a United States problem. I know you've talked to Chris Sebald in the past about this, but you know this is a problem that is really highly correlated among all developed economies. We're all seeing aging populations, we all um, are facing some of the same issues, and, and in fact. Places like the Eurozone and Japan are are seeing more severe headwinds than we're seeing. So our interest rates are, are very low, and part of that is due to the Fed's policies. But it's not clear that rates would be a lot, lot higher because of the global situation. Here's some comparisons. Um, in Germany, the 10-year um, you know, treasury bond that they have, it's called the Bund, reached a record low uh, this week of around 1%. So we think our treasury rates are really low, you know, 240, 2.5. But in Germany, you know, to invest your money for 10 years, you're only getting 1%. In Japan, to invest your money in government bonds, you're only getting a half a percent. So, you know, to the extent that the Fed withdrew their support, you know, one of the questions I have, are you going to see money flow from elsewhere in the world because our rates are more attractive than, um, and our growth profile is more attractive than what we see elsewhere in the developed world?
0: We're talking with Erica Berglin. She is a CFA. She is the uh, Advant- with Advantis Capital and does an excellent job. She is the vice president of the director of research and trading, and a frequent guest on the program because she brings so much knowledge to us. And we kind of led with this thought that what we'd like to ask her is this risk thing that everybody says, we're going to have a correction, we're going to have a correction, we're going to have, and we've been saying that, that, and we do anticipate a correction. So what I want Erica to help us with is how do we look at this correction? What what kind of thought process do we have about it? And is it time for it? I mean, is this the leading indicators of that's going on? I guess I kind of want to let her tell us it's going to happen next Thursday or maybe Friday, you know, a week from now. How about that? Yeah, well, what day is it going to happen? Well, I Erica? just, that's what I want to know. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Erica. We I, set think you up. An,
2: you know, I think I'd be in. You know, here go. I, I think I'd be a former CFA if I tried <laughs> to come
0: this one day. You got it.
2: <laughs> you know, um, honestly, I know you guys take a long term view in your advising of your clients, and I think that that's the right thing to do. You know, there's a lot of volatility from day to day in the market. And, you know, right now, it seems like it's being driven by geopolitical concerns. And, you know, you know, you can probably guess as well as I can how the situation in Ukraine is going to resolve itself, or in Gaza, or the elections in Turkey, or any of these things which are really roiling the markets in the last couple of days. Those things are really pretty tough to, to anticipate. I think, um, you know, the arguments that um, the market really needs a correction are people who say, you know, we've had a period of very, very low volatility. You know, the market's gone a long time, an abnormally long time, without having a big adjustment. And, you know, real investors should look forward to corrections. Real investors <laughs> um, give you opportunities. to Amen portfolio and and go into things that had been too expensive because stuff is on sale. So corrections aren't necessarily a bad thing. It, it's tough to look at your statements at the end of the month and, and not see stuff go up. But at the same time, it does give people a long-awaited opportunity to expose themselves to things that maybe had been too expensive. But it's been an interesting year because As we talked about before, there are some signs that it feels like the economy is getting a little bit more self-sustaining growth underneath it. So one would think that that would be a nice environment. You know, low rates and stronger growth should be good for the stock market. But instead, we find ourselves in a place where bonds have actually outperformed stocks so far this year. And
1: And if we would have backed up to January 1, I don't think many of us would have called that. No, not at all.
2: No, not at all. You know, and I think a big reason is... um, You know, the tepid growth, it doesn't seem like the U.S. is really going to break out into 3% plus GDP growth this year. And then the even weaker growth in the rest of the world, I think, has given rates room. And, in fact, as um, the rest of the world becomes crazier, people like to take their money to the United States to invest. They see it as a safe haven relative to other alternatives that they have. And so I think that that's been a big driver of the strength in the bond market for sure. So can you have a strong stock market and a strong bond market at the same time? You know, I think it's possible that we could have a bit of what um, what people on Wall Street call decoupling, where the United States economy gets a little bit of traction and the rest of the world continues to muddle along. And that could be a pretty good environment for investors here. Um, you know, whether this is going to rise to a 10% correction in the stock market to meet that formal uh, definition of of what investors call a correction, you know it's really hard to say because as you you, um, pointed out earlier, Jim, investors for the last five years have sort of been trained that when the market goes down, it's a buying opportunity. And one of these times, the market will keep going down. Um, The question is, is that going to be this time and at what point are buyers going to really come back into the market? I think... um, You know, investors should be talking to their investment advisor and making sure that their portfolios are allocated in a way that fits their risk profile. And as valuations change and markets go up and down, that's an opportunity to take another look at that and make sure that. That you're in the right investments.
0: You know, I, I did we record that? Did, did we get that recorded? Because I need to be able to play that over time. A client asked me, I'm say, well, hey, this is what Erica says. That's exactly <laughs> right. <laughs> that was wonderful. I mean, because that's really what you're talking about. We can't pick what a what a market's going to correct, and we were kidding. And I and I know Keith, you think about that all the time. We we just don't tell people. It's going to correct tomorrow or next week.
1: We don't, but Jim, did you notice a very important thing that Erica said? She didn't say risk. She said volatility there's a huge difference a Now difference. we have saw on july 31st you know the market dropped two percent. Uh, that was a big drop. but if we look back you know in two thousand and eleven in August and uh, uh, excuse me in August and September, we had eleven drops of greater than two percent. so volatility <laughs> is something that is normal in the markets. we haven't had a lot of that lately, uh, and I think Eric is exactly right. you know people look at that as a buying opportunity, but at some point we will have the 10% percent
0: and we don't need to be lulled to sleep because we haven't had volatility, as she said the normal normal volatility is something that's there so erica you do a wonderful job for us and again lady we just enjoy having you on the program you take very complex thoughts and put it into a very easy way that i can understand it and that's a huge huge opportunity for a good learning lesson for for you to teach me that's good (laughs) (laughs) but uh thank you for being a part of the program today erica thank you so much oh you're very welcome You know, she always does a good job for us. Erica's phenomenal. And uh, we appreciate her so much.
1: I'm Keith Quinn. I'm Jim Shoemaker. Join us next week when we'll help you make the most of your money.
2: Jim Shoemaker and Keith Quinn are registered representatives and investment advisor representatives of Securian Financial Services Incorporated. Securities dealer member FINRA SIPC, a registered investment advisor. Shoemaker Financial is independently owned and operated.